What's up, everyone? Welcome to another Serious Angler podcast here on this awesome Friday morning. And it is presented, as always, by X2 Power and our friends over there. And today we have an awesome episode. We have Bryant Smith coming on, who is a touring National Professional Fishing League pro who just qualified for the Elite Series, which I am assuming it is a childhood lifelong dream for him. So we're going to dive into that um, quite deeply here and what is going to go on with him in the next few months. But um, one thing, a couple housekeeping notes. One thing I want to mention is Tomorrow morning, as you're listening to this, there will be a new episode of the Lure Lab launching at 6 a.m. So you can join and view that on your drive to the boat launch if you're fishing or view it at any time at your pleasure. And we're going to be talking about finesse swim baiting, which is a really cool episode. It's about 20 minutes long. Um, other housekeeping notes, Deacon will have an episode Monday. I'm not sure what it is. I know he's been recording since he got home from his second place finish up in Idaho at Crew Delane. And congrats to him on that again at the ABA, um, I believe the ABA Bass Championship Team Trail for the regional, I believe was the tournament he fished. And then, um, yeah, that's about it for housekeeping here. Be on the lookout for the announcement for next week's Tuesday Night Live. But without further ado, let's get Bryant on here and talk about Lake Hartwell and what he has going on. What's going on, man? How are you? I'm doing great. I appreciate uh, you having me back on. Yeah, it's good to have you back here again. We get you twice in a year. That's um, almost like a rarity over here on the, the podcast channel. So it's good to have you back. So what's I, new since the last time we had you? Oh, man, it's been a uh, it's been quite the whirlwind. You know, a few tournaments here, a uh, few babies there, you know, just a few. Uh, I thought it was just one. <laughs> Yeah, just one, but man, when he cries, he feels like a handful of them. Oh, I I miss, but don't miss those days. So it was it was a big learning curve to uh, figure out how he wanted to be dealt with and all that good stuff. But uh, you know, wouldn't trade him for the world. He's been uh, absolutely amazing. You know what you should do is ask Bucking Bass, Bucking Bass, to come up with like some hardcore baby raps to like swaddle him in. Oh, yeah, and he would love them too. Because <laughs> I mean, that is <laughs> that is his favorite thing in the world when he gets swaddled. Uh, it's oh. it's awesome. It's 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 about the only way either feed him or swaddle him that we can get him to uh, calm down a little bit. So. I, I remember those days completely. My daughter, who is now three, I don't think she liked to be swaddled very much because uh, we mm-hmm. put her down for a nap while she was swaddled and she'd rip her arms out and then scream. So she's <laughs> like, what is going they on? They don't understand. They don't understand. Yeah. Like, you, you like being swaddled, but you fight it to get your arms out the whole time. I don't yeah. get it. <laughs> yeah. They're, they, uh, the way they process things, like, if I could only remember when I was that young, like how they're processing information, it has mm-hmm. to be insane the way that brain works at that oh, age. Yeah. It's a lot so, of stimulus going on. Oh, for sure. So how are you handling the newborn now that you're home? He's like, what, a month or two old now? Are you getting any yeah. sleep now that you've get, gotten home? Uh, my wife's been a rock star. So, uh, I just got back the other day, two days ago, I think. And, uh, she's got him on a schedule. Uh, when I left, it was a bit chaotic. You know, we were up every 
you know, ranging from hour to three hours is, was a good little stretch. And, uh, she's been an absolute rock star through all this. And, and she got him down to pretty much only got to wake him up once or twice. And he can almost sleep through the whole night. Oh, that's um, incredible. Oh, You're it's so been, lucky. <laughs> it's amazing, man. Uh, yeah, to come back to this and, and have him be just just totally in a rhythm with her was uh, it was a surprise, but it was a great surprise. Yeah, fantastic. Shout out to your wife for being fabulous. So, um, uh, yeah, the newborn stuff. I remember three years ago when we went through it, and I'll tell you what, my toddler still doesn't like to sleep. So like, <laughs> just randomly in the middle of the night, she'll walk in the bedroom and be like, I have to pee, Dada. And I'm like, great. <laughs> That's awesome. So just little tidbits of what you have to come forward into life with as they grow up. But Lake Hartwell, second place finish, qualified for the Elite Series. How are you feeling after that? Man, I don't, I don't think it's still um, sunk, in. sunk in. Yeah, um, you know, going into this thing, obviously the goal was to qualify for the elites, but um, you know, I was far enough back to where I could actually win the tournament and not qualify. So, you know, not only did I have to do my job, but I also had to have a few guys kind of slip up a little bit. Um, which is just crazy to think because I had two pretty solid finishes coming into it. You know, I think I had a 20, they were both in the twenties and, and yeah. you know, you would think about two 20th, 20th place finishes somewhere around there out of 225 guys in the, in the opens. And I still have to have those guys slip up a little bit for me to catch them. It's just unbelievable. But, uh, it, you know, things worked out. I, I, I feel like I did my job and then, you know, got a little good fortune and, and qualified for the elites, which is still just crazy to me to even say, um, like just saying it, it, it just, it, you know, it's a childhood dream. Like you said, to, to start the show, it's, a, it's an absolutely a childhood dream. You know, I get to go fish the tour that I woke up on Saturday mornings and got to go watch, um, you know, it, 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 truly a dream come true. So it sounds like you're leaning towards going over there. You don't have to say either way, but it sounds like you're leaning towards the the BASS big stage, big bass, big dreams. Yeah, I'm definitely leaning that way for sure. Um, it, it, you know, fishing the National Professional Fishing League, I, I would absolutely love to keep doing that. And uh, I'm trying to make that happen. Um you know, going through all the, the, the sponsor outlets and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, in the next couple of weeks after we finish up Kissimmee, I'll, I'll have to make my decision. And uh, I'm definitely leaning towards the elite series, obviously, if I have to, if I have to choose. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's where everyone wants to be. And, and it's credit to like the MPFL has kind of fostered a new, generation of anglers that we didn't really know about which is kind of cool to think about as well right like so it's a we're not going to call it like a farm system but there's a lot of good anglers over there who could make it and you're one of the first ones to do so so congrats absolutely yeah they uh they're there's they're no farm they're no farm league i mean those guys can catch them over there it, it's it's really impressive um but 
you know, I owe them, I owe them a ton to, uh, to just give me the opportunity to fish a national circuit, um, you know, without having to go through the gauntlet of qualifying through the opens and, and stuff like that, you know, cause I tried, um, excuse me, I tried to do the opens. I did the opens in 2020. I did one region. Yeah. Yeah. I did the, uh, the centrals that year and, um, didn't do very well. You know, I, I, it's a lot, uh, it's a lot different, you know, coming from the West coast. I had to learn not only how to fish these places, but I had to learn how to just travel around and, uh, you know, where to keep my boat and, you know, kind of get the, uh, Rolodex of friends who, who are, you know, basically a lifesaver, you know, take care of my boat when I'm got to fly back, stuff like that. You know, it's a whole nother aspect that I had to learn, um, and it definitely affected my performance, uh, in 2020, but we had the opportunity in 2021 to fish the national professional fishing league. And, you know, again, there were some growing pains, but, um, to be able to fish a national circuit, I had to figure it out. You know, I, I, I couldn't drive back and forth every time. It's not, it's just not feasible. Um, you know, my truck would wouldn't <laughs> would never even make it so figuring out you know the growing pains of, of how to uh how to live on the west coast but compete on the east coast that's what they did for me and then you know their schedules were so diverse that it exposed me to a lot of fishing that i wasn't really uh accustomed to you would accustomed say? To. absolutely yeah. absolutely you know we don't have ledge fishing um back home you know if and we Ledge fished at Pickwick. Um, you know, we don't have the northern smallmouth and the northern largemouth. You know, the way those fish act are totally different. And that's what Winnebago taught me. Uh, you know, this year we got to go to Erie and uh, fish Sandusky. And I learned how to, you know, I tried to learn how to smallmouth fish, keep up with those guys. Um, you know, they've just exposed me to so many different uh, regions of the country. You know, blueback herring fishing. We fished Lake Hartwell earlier this year in April. and, and I learned a lot about blueback herring fish and how they meet, how they act. So I owe, I owe a ton to the, the MPFL for, for really getting me ready for what I had to, uh, what I had to go through in the opens. Yeah, that that's awesome. And, and, and I don't want to call the farm system because that's not what it is. Right. It, but I love the way they schedule like they lay out their schedule just to the fact that it's like every like six weeks, they usually have a tournament. I think it was right. Like every mm-hmm. four to six weeks. Yeah. So you, it gives you time to figure out how to travel the country, especially coming from Cali to the East coast. But they also fished a ton of diverse fisheries that nobody really ever heard. Like here's about like a right Patman Lake mm-hmm. uh, was it this year. Watts bar. Was another yep. one you guys went to, right? Like yeah. Sandusky is a perennial like open spot or Toyota series where they go a lot, but Saginaw Bay, like it's really cool the way they laid out their schedule. Winnebago, just mm-hmm. I, I find it very interesting and I give them tons of kudos for overcoming all the adversity they did in 2021 to be able to still put out a very reasonable, feasible tour for you guys to fish and make some money doing it. So yeah. shout out to them. Absolutely. But, but let's dive into the real reason, right? Like Lake Hartwell, 
How did practice set up for you? Did coming out of practice, did you think you would have a shot at qualifying for the elites and having a second place finish? And kind of walk through the practice, and then we'll jump into the tournament days. Yeah. So it actually um, a lot. Th- this tournament really started for me after Sandusky, after the MPFL at Sandusky. Um, I jumped in my truck and I knew I was kind of on a time crunch with the baby coming, but, um, I knew I had, a, I should have a few days. So I ended up, uh, scheduling my fr- flight a few days later than I normally would. And I went and, um, I spent three days graphing around Lake Hartwell. And, um, for those not familiar with Lake Hartwell, that time of year, um, cane piles and brush piles are going to be a huge player cane piles being those big long skinny it's i guess it's bamboo or sugar cane you know they could be 10 to 15 feet tall and uh you know finding as many of those as i could was was what i wanted to do while i was there so i wouldn't run out of areas to fish in that tournament um and just real quick before we go forward i want to talk about like cane piles right like we hear about them on Hartwell, and everything that I've read is they're almost impossible to see on side imaging. So you almost have to be running, be running down imaging, right? As you're graphing, you almost have to go right over top of them to find them. Yeah, that, from what I that's hear, that's the most that's the most obvious way to find them. Um, so I have a very very short. Um, um, I, I'm not really well versed in, in cane pile fishing, but you know, I, I, I did what worked for me and uh, I could, I could actually find them on side imaging. Now you have to look very, very closely and the ones you want to find are actually the ones that you're going to uh, find on side imaging because you're going to get, uh, you want the bushy ones, you want the fresh ones. That's the ones that uh, I ended up catching most of my fish out of, you know, the older ones that are just the actual like bamboo piece. You don't really, it's, it's just a stick in the water for the most part. You know, there's no cover to it. So finding those fresher ones, those, um, those ones with all the leaves on it was actually the key And those, although they are still really hard to see, um, you actually do get a return of the shadow from, you get like the elongated shadow out of one yes. away from the boat. Yeah. So w- the two things I look for, uh, you know, the shadow and, uh, if you, if I see the shadow, then I start actually looking, I mean, electronics are so crazy these days, what we can actually find. I actually start looking for the five gallon bucket that, mm. um, you know, they anchor those cane piles with. And if I have the the shadow from the leaves and then, you know, sometimes you can see the sliver of the actual, I guess we'll call it the trunk. Like the stem um, or the trunk or yeah, whatever it is. Yeah. You see that. And then you see the five gallon bucket down there. That's, you can, you can still find them on side imaging. Um, you know, it's not like a regular brush pile at all. Um, and I did miss a lot. You know, I, I know I missed a lot because I would go back over with sight or down imaging, you know, if I thought I saw something or just if it was a good looking point and I wanted to make sure, you know, sometimes it would take me two or three times to run over it before I did see it. Um, but, yeah, you can still find them on on sight imaging. You just got to look really, really close and you got to. It, it was hard because, you know, I'm graphing for 
10 to 12 hours a day and you know eyes get tired after a little while but you if you pay attention and you you stay with it you can find them on side imaging pretty well there has to be thousands if not hundreds of thousands of cane piles in that lake between cane piles and brush piles if you looked at my if you looked at my lorances um it's actually if i zoom out far enough it is just a giant Dot. Dot. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. It's a giant dot. I don't know how many I found in those three days, but um, it was probably well over a thousand, if you know, at least. And, um, and you're trying to do the lake regionally too, as you're breaking it yes. down, right? So, like, yeah. you probably have some scattered ones in the southwest corner, like northeast corner. Like, where are the best piles? Where does it line up on contours? Yeah. So I did a little bit of research before just to kind of get a general um, idea of where I wanted to spend all my time graphing. And for the most part, uh, if you're going to be fishing brush and you're going to be fishing cane piles that time of year, it's going to go down somewhere on the main lake. Uh, You know, I'm not going to go run up a river that time of year. If I wanted to run up a river, I'd be largemouth fishing. And that's what those guys that were uh, doing really well the first few days were doing. You know, they were running way up a river. But I knew for me that I wanted to commit to the cane. I wanted to commit to the brush uh, because that's where I've, I've, I mean, I'm comfortable going up a river and throwing a buzz bait or, you know, throwing a crankbait. But I knew just for longevity, usually those largemouth tend to run out a little bit or they're hard to find, relocate. So I ended up, you know, committing to that brush. Um, even, you know, before the tournament practice even started, um, just because, uh, you know, graphing around for three days, you know, I knew I was, I needed to commit to it and, uh, I knew I needed to have a lot, uh, which actually ended up helping. It, it, it played pretty, pretty big in the tournament, having as many as I did, you know, Lake Hartwell, it's a really big lake. It, it does swallow up boats pretty well, but you know, when I'm, brush pile fishing i like to hit as many as i can in a day and uh having that it wasn't endless but it was about as endless as it could be there's no way i could have fished all of them in one day so having having that many brush piles actually enabled me to um first of all i can go find the piles where where i wanted them you know which was a main lake point with some sort of channel influence Mm -hmm. and then you know if i had five five of my good piles that guys were on, I could just go to number six. You know, I never, I never had to really worry about, you know, I have to be on this pile um, or I have to be here. I have to be there, you know, and then, you know, get disappointed when there's guys covered up, covered up on them. So having that, that many piles was, was really, really key for me. So now my question is when it comes to the cane piles, how can you tell which ones besides like the nice leafy green bushes on them, right? How can you tell how many fish are there or like the class of fish are there if you're just scanning? Like, you know, you're you're graphing around Hartwell and you're pre-practiced for those three days. Mm-hmm. If you mark specific stuff where you're like, there's bigger than average fish here, and I hope they're smallmouth. I mean, not smallmouth spots and largemouth. Um, so in, when I was there pre-practicing, it was just um purely just to find as many piles as I could. Um, you know, they get, especially in the good ones, like the leafy ones, they're actually really hard to see um, 
even if he sometimes if you go over them with with down imaging you know a lot of times actually you'll see them over top of it or you'll see um you know them suspended on the side of it but um i would actually shoot my forward facing sonar on a lot of the ones that i wanted to fish and that's how i found for the most part whether they had fish or they didn't and you know, I'm, I'm still not very good at, at determining size, but I have a general idea of, um, you know, how big a fish is, you know, is, is it a 12 incher or is it a, you know, three plus pounder? I can, I can visually see that on my forward facing sonar. So, um, that was how I ended up kind of figuring out which ones were better and, and which ones had fish. You know. And then on top of that, which one, you know, I would actually physically fish them, um, in practice, and uh you know you catch one and catch one catch a three pounder and there's 10 more with it you know that that one's gonna get the we're gonna fish that in the tournament uh, so running a lot of it and, and physically looking with the live scope and then uh, actually fishing them and drawing those fish out or catching them gotcha forward facing what a tool that is isn't it oh uh, it's it's changed everything <laughs> it's changed yeah. absolutely everything now I wonder, like, and this is just me thinking out, like the forward facing, with a cane pile. Do you think it in perspective mode would work really well? Because you then you can kind of pan and see where they are, or would they? Is it better to shoot at the cane pole with just a standard forward? Um, I mean, at least in my um, usage of the perspective mode, you know, it doesn't really work for me when the water's deeper. Yeah. Which would, that would be the only hindrance I could see doing that. If, if you could do that, that would be awesome because there was a lot of fish that, um, you know, if you watched live when I was fishing and, and I was physically looking for those fish, you know, I knew where the pile was, but then, I was also looking for those those singles and those doubles that were just kind of out by themselves, you know, Suspended maybe everyone, off the side or something. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, maybe they weren't in the pile at that moment. That's, you know, but that's home base. But they're out, you know, chasing around looking for looking for those herring and looking for those those really small shad. Um so having having that forward facing sonar, it, it's it's yeah, it changed that whole tournament. There's no way that I catch what I catch without it. Yeah, it's such an incredible tool. I'm happy to have it on my boat because since I got a new boat, the one thing I had to have on it was forward facing because I'm mm-hmm. like, it's going to change totally how I guide, how I fish. And I can already tell you, like, I'm a completely different angler today than I was a month and a half ago. And it's just oh. mind blowing how much, like, it has taught me and shown me in like five weeks. Yeah. Well, I mean, before it, we never really, you never got to see, unless it was a top water, you never got to see how that fish reacted to your bait. Yeah. Um, and that, I mean, we'll get into that in a little bit with, um, you know, how I got to, to catching them, but uh, how, it, how a fish reacts to what you present to them. I think that's the biggest thing that, uh, that that forward facing sonar does for you you know it really uh it can really show you a lot of information if you're if you're really paying attention on what the fish are doing that day and and just how they how they want to feed absolutely 
So this is where it gets fun, right? Lake Hartwell, you're in that practice. How did you figure out that they were on a football jig? When people fish spots <laughs> on Lake Hartwell, you think top waters in the fall, especially spots in the fall, like they love top water baits. Mm-hmm. We've seen a lot of live footage on other tournaments in the southeast in the fall where it's like top water, something bright chrome. Mm-hmm all day they're eating shad chasing blueback herring or a drop shot or something super finessey and here's brian smith whacking them on a football day so how did you come across that yeah um man if i could have if i could have been the guy that had you know that chrome i'd, I'd be throwing yeah i Chrome walking bait, uh, you know, like Strike King Sexy Dog or throwing a you know, soft jerk bait like the Caffeine Shad. I would have loved to have been that guy. That's my deal. Um, I love throwing walking baits. I can do it all day long because I know the quality of fish they catch. And then I, I know I just have so much confidence in, in doing that all day long. So I was actually I was foaming at the mouth going to going into this tournament because that's i mean that's right up my alley um after a day and a half of um fishing the, a couple things had happened first thing that happened was the lake actually was turning over oh, and works. yeah so i think the range that the fish usually have got really cut down because the water got um pretty green and you know everything's all turned up and they they were just they were just kind of funky you know i would throw i would throw uh, you know a walking bait over them and, and they would follow it out you know and then i would throw uh, you know a caffeine shadow and again you know you get some to bite but uh, it wasn't it wasn't what i was expecting uh, i had a lot more fish follow it which again this is forward facing sonar showing me you know, if I didn't get bit, I wouldn't have thought there was a fish on that cane pile. But I could see the seven fish that followed me out. Okay, what does that tell me? It tells me that I'm getting their interest. I know where they're at. I just have to figure out a way to get them to bite. Um, and with all the pressure that the those fish get, you know, from, man, once they get out into those piles, I mean, they just get beat on daily. And then you put the 225 guys for our tournament out there. Um, that really, really doesn't help. And then a fall turnover on top of that. Like we had a lot of things going against us going into this tournament. And I think it's why um, if you if you look at the guys who did really well, either they were up a river um, kind of going for those fish that aren't really affected by pressure and uh, a, a turnover, or you had a lot of guys finesse fishing. Um, and in, in a way I, I was finesse fishing, you know, I, I wasn't throwing the power fishing baits, you know, I wasn't throwing the, the top water and stuff like that. But, um, anyway, getting back to the question. Um, so I had a jig tied on, you know, I, doing my research and, you know, every once in a while, uh, a top 10 guy would, would do really well on a jig. So I had one tied on, I had it in the boat and, after about a day and a half of just being really frustrated, not being able to get these fish to bite, I decided, well, let me start actually fishing in some brush piles. So I pulled it out and uh, the first brush pile, I saw a couple fish over the top of it. I throw it in there and it falls 
straight to the bottom. They shoot down and, uh, you know, they really, really reacted in a positive way to it. You know, they followed it down super, super quick. And I popped it one time and I had about a two and three quarter eat it. I was like, okay, that's cool. I finally got one to bite. And this is after throwing the Nico rig and the drop shot and stuff like that, which I really just didn't want to do it. I tried it. Uh, but I really just didn't want to do it. It, it just didn't seem like I knew there was a way to cover some water and catch some fish there. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be able to, to really, really cover some water quickly and not have to shake a worm in their face to get them to bite. So that first one kind of gave me a little confidence. And then I actually, I just started um, panning around with the, the forward facing sonar and um, there happened to be another little pile it was pretty small you know maybe only two foot off the bottom but there was a blob sitting right in the middle of it so i threw my jig in there and i, I mean I, it landed on its head it followed it down i popped it once and i actually physically saw the fish spin around it kind of went around it would, would be what i think it did um and it smoked it and it was a three and a half so now i got a bait that i can uh you know, at least trigger some bites. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I started running a lot of the stuff that I'd seen fish on. You know, maybe I get a blow up on the top water here or, uh, you know, they kind of, they follow it out. You know, like we were talking about, follow it out of the cane pile or follow it out of the, uh, the brush pile. And I started going back through some of those areas. And my best five in the next, like, three, min uh, three hours would have been 17 somewhere around there which is a like, crazy bag in the fall yeah i caught them really good biggest one was like five and a half but they were a lot of solid fish uh so that was when i knew i was at least on to something i finally found a bait that i can actually run around it and, and trigger some of these fish to bite and to this day i don't know i, mean, I don't know what they thought it was uh excuse me it was if you think about it, it's a green pumpkin jig falling from the sky to a fish that's suspended over, you know, over 30 feet of water and 10 feet. Like there's nothing natural about it at all. It makes zero sense in my head, but <laughs> fish. maybe it was just something they haven't seen or, uh, you know, whatever, whatever it was, it doesn't matter. They ate it. And that's all, that's all I really cared about. The only thing I can think of is like on that brush pile, if they're down on the bottom in that brush pile, you have, I have seen spring tournaments where guys will catch them there on like a mop style football jig. So mm -hmm. the only thing I can think of is maybe it was very similar to a crawfish bite. Maybe there was some crawfish down there in those brush piles that they would eat it. Yeah. There was, there was definitely, guests. yeah, there was definitely some fish, you know, I would have a couple here and there spit up, you know, spit up some crawdads um and then i would have a couple here and there spit up some baby bluegill which uh i think both are yeah great, great what, pumpkin. yeah both both are really you know they, they make sense um it still doesn't make sense why they would follow it down from 10 feet to 30 and bite it but again i'm not going to ask questions um, those are just fish that didn't read the book so, exactly. <laughs> which happens 99% of the time. Yeah. But we're all stuck chasing a book and what it tells us to do. And then as soon as we do the exact opposite, we catch one half the time. Yeah. And in the book, you know, I think, uh, I think the book really, 
I don't know if it hurt a lot of guys, but the book tells you to work a topwater over those fish's heads um, as fast as you pop- possibly can, and throw a jerk bait and throw a soft soft plastic jerk bait at them, and, you know, and, and move that bait laterally. And I think, uh, you know, by the time October comes around, they've seen so many things go left to right over their head that. Uh, you know, something that actually falls on their head, it triggers them differently. You know, they haven't seen it, I think. And uh, the way I was working it after, um, after they would follow it down was I, I, it was the only way I can get them to bite in the tournament. Uh, And it was actually kind of weird. So I was throwing a three quarter ounce jig for the most part, especially in the open water when there was, yeah, I wanted it to fall fast. Um, you know, we do a lot of spotted bass fishing out here, uh, on the West coast. We have some really great spotted bass fishing and the biggest thing in spotted bass fishing is getting that fish's attention. And they're a lot like smallmouth. They're very curious. If you can get their attention, your odds of you catching a, catching that fish go way up. So having it fall quickly, um, I think really triggered a lot of fish into following it down and having it fall down was actually a a, a big key for me i think um because it didn't go over their head you know it didn't go left right and they just follow it to the boat and sit under your boat and now you're frustrated you just pulled those fish off um i was triggering those fish into following it down uh and then after after they would follow it down um i'd almost dead stick it it was almost a dead stick. I would just slowly, slowly, slowly pull it. And then one out of probably 40 fish that I would uh, throw it on would end up biting it. But if they didn't bite it within, you know, six inches of me dragging it, I, I reeled it out and uh, on to the next. Uh, That's interesting you say that, though, because in practice, when you figured out the jig deal, you almost were stroking it to get mm-hmm. them to bite it, right? So mm-hmm. they were instantly adapting to what you're doing. They were instantly. Yeah, yeah. I think the pressure got to them. You know, the first day I caught, I caught a handful on the fall. You know, they would grab it on the fall, and then I caught a, you know, a handful popping it. But for the most part, I had to really slow it down. And then day two. Um, it was, re- I mean, it was really cool to actually see it, but their mood changed so much from day one to day two. And I think it was obviously the pressure of the tournament. Everybody's actually fishing the piles now, you know, where in practice you th- go over there, throw up, catch one. Okay, there's fish here, we'll leave. Well, now you're going to lean on them a little bit. You're going to put them in a rotation. You're going to hit them four or five times if it's a good pile. <laughs> so the pressure actually really got to them on day two, I think. And to the point where I could physically see them, uh, they changed the way they they followed the bait down. You know, hmm. the first day, if you got it within ten feet of them on the forward facing sonar, if you got it within to fall within ten feet of them, they were shooting down as fast as they could to catch up with that thing and grab it. Either grab it, follow it down to the bottom, and then you could hop it and catch one. Day two, they were much more lazy about it you know, I would throw it over there and instead of them keeping up with the trail of the jig, there, there was actually some space in between it. You know, they weren't, they weren't hot on it like they were the first day. And that's where, uh, 
you know, I changed my, my presentation to once it hit the bottom, I would actually do it really, really slowly and just slow drag. Um, but I still wanted to fish quick. So, you know, paying attention to how they were biting it, it actually enabled me, although I'm not moving it very quick, very far and I'm not moving it very quickly. Um, I could still effectively fish that fish or that pile effect very quickly because I knew, you know, I'm not going to drag it very far. It's if they don't bite it within the first six inches, I'm out. That fish ain't going to bite it. Uh, there's no reason for me to try and talk it into it. You know, I I've tried everything, you know, we're on day four of throwing this jig. I've tried absolutely every way to get this fish to bite. And if they don't bite it within the first six inches of the drag, at least to me, they're not going to bite. So yeah. that enabled me to, to be a lot more efficient on the water and fish a lot more spots. Awesome. That's, um, that's gotta be a fun way to crack them too. Like in a pile, it might be over. 30 or 50 foot of water mm. like so let's dive into that right like what is what was your football jig setup for hartwell like i want to dive in rod reel mm-hmm. line jig so i'm assuming it's probably a striking jig and then maybe even your trailer for getting those fish to bite if you don't mind indulging our viewers with that information absolutely um so I guess to start, um, kind of one of the more important things was uh, I got the new Garmin transducer, um, the uh, whatever it is, L LVS thirty four, and that uh, that enabled me to see very clearly out to about one hundred and twenty feet uh, was the range, so I could effectively fish for a fish or fish a pile there was a hundred feet away. Cause I could see, I could actually see. Um, that being said, that actually changed what I usually throw my jig on um, drastically because I knew there was going to be a lot more line involved. There was going to be a lot more space involved with a lot of these fish. So usually I would use a, uh, a Dobbin 734, uh, which is kind of a medium, medium heavy action uh, a rod and i i bumped it up i went to a five power rod which is borderline heavy still a jig rod it was a, a dx 745 but it was something you know it was a little longer seven foot four and it had a little more power behind it which um you know if i'm making a hundred foot throw and i I don't know what the math would be on it, but there's definitely more than a hundred feet of line out once that jig hits the bottom. And if that fish eats it out there, I want to be able to drive that hook home. Uh, the jig itself, uh, it was actually a hand for, I, I, I make all my own football heads. So uh, it's, it's just, it, it's the most standard looking football head you've ever seen. There's nothing fancy about it. Is that um, a do it molds mold that it, you use? Yeah. Do it mold. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's the only mold that I, you know, I use for everything. I pour my own drop shot weights, uh, shaky heads, all that stuff. A lot of, I, I pour a lot of stuff that you tend to go through a lot because we need to, you know, fishing's expensive. So when I can save some money, I'll make it myself. Now, if you don't mind me asking, cause there's hundreds of different hooks you can pour that jig with, are, is there a specific one that you like? Is it like a 60 degree head? Is it a 90 degree head on the hook? Yeah, First, it's a 90. I myself. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it's a 90. 
um, gosh, it's a Gamagatsu. This would be a total guess, but I think it's like a 604 or something. I don't know. Uh, but it's the 90 degree one and it's fairly light wire. Um, the 604, I think, is the light wire head. So, yeah, I'm the light wire jig. That's why I mm-hmm. pour all, a lot of my swim baits on like a round ball head I use. A 604 yeah. in. It's an awesome. Absolutely. Hook. Absolutely love that hook. Yeah. So it was a, it was a 90 degree and then, uh, you know, three quarter ounce, like we said before, something that could fall fast. Um, 15 pound test. I was actually using uh, strike King tour gate tour grade fluorocarbon uh, 15 pound test. You know, I wanted something that, that I could throw in a pile and be really, really confident about it because every once in a while I would, I would, uh, you know, you just got to kind of let a, let that jig fall into the pile, you know. Yeah. So having and something that comes you, out. Yeah, hope it comes <laughs> out with the fish. Uh, so that's why usually if I was in that situation and there weren't fresh piles involved, I'd be throwing it on 12 pound. But, uh, you know, just because there was sometimes some, uh, some wood in between you and the fish, I went with the 15 pound test, um, that longer rod, and then, Actually, uh, one of the things that I really think was key was the trailer. Um, you know, I like a trailer that, especially we talked about, we had to get that fish's attention um, to get that fish to follow it down to the bottom. And so I wanted something with a lot of action um, on the fall. And that Strike King Rage Menace. Uh, is about the best that you know i use it on swim jigs a lot i use it on anything that i want a lot of action when the bait is moving but the cool thing about that bait is uh, it's almost two in one so i would get a ton of action out of those tails on the way down uh, draw that fish's attention draw that fish in get that fish to start following it now with how slow i was dragging it it actually kind of you know, you need some, you need to move that, that menace to get it to, to kind of flare around and, uh, and move those tails. So when it was on the bottom, I, at least in my mind, I thought I was dragging it slow enough to where there was actually no action. Yeah, just uh, dead kind, of, maybe. Kind, of a, kind of a dead action. I was going to say too, uh, as you're dragging, you're probably bumping those sticks in the brush mm-hmm. pile. You probably just get the tiniest little flare just a little bit yeah and i think that was uh you know at least in my mind pressured fish i want the least amount of action possible you know it's why a ned rig is so good for those pressured fish because it has no action so Mm -hmm. um to have a trailer in that strike king rage menace that falls really really quick and and moves a lot of water on the fall and then kind of turns around and kind of deadens up a little bit when I start to drag it really, really slow, I think that was uh, that was a huge key to my success and getting those fish to bite. You know, and almost turning it into kind of a Ned rig jig, if you will, um, to where there's just not a lot of action, and they just look at it, look at it, and I'm like, okay, I guess I'll eat it. Or that looks weird but yummy at the same time. I need good to enough. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. Uh, <laughs> and then. I, I actually had a I had a second jig, which was a half ounce jig, um, same trailer and everything, and that would be one if I would see those fish up in the water column. Um, you know, I, 
I fished cane piles and I fished brush piles, but I also fished, they were sunken trees. I'm, I'm pretty sure what they do is they cut the tree down off the bank and drag it in the water and it sinks right there. Uh, but they were full on, full blown trees. And uh, so I had a half ounce version, same rod, same line, um, same reel, uh, loose uh, pro team, uh, uh, 7.5 to one reel. And that half ounce one was actually one that I would, if I saw them up high in those trees, I could actually swim it uh, and get, uh, get them to react to it that way. You know, it's not, again, it's not the top water. It's not the, um, you know, soft jerk bait like they usually see. And uh, day two, I actually, the tougher day, um, I caught two almost three and a half pounders out of the top of a tree swimming that jig set up. And uh, without those, I wouldn't have the elite series berth and I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be fishing the top 10. So a couple key fish like that, just a little change in the setup, but uh, same general idea. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if those were like your bluegill eaters at that point too, because I'm assuming yeah. those trees were relatively shallower than the cane poles. And I, and I don't know if that's, true or not but that almost seems like swimming that jig you're almost mimicking like a bluegill action over top of the trees so yeah kind of makes sense yeah that's what i was going for at least um whether or not they thought it that way it doesn't really matter you know i got a couple to eat it that way but that was that was absolutely what i was going for kind of a more bluegill look and uh, just something i could swim through the top kind of feather it through and have them just a little different look. That's that's what I always try to do, especially, you know, my whole season on the opens. Um, with the amount of pressure that those fish get, you always kind of have to find something a little different if you want to succeed. And uh, this week was the jig for me. Yeah, I, I think I went, when I looked at the top 10 photos, I was like, Okay, that's the same, that's the same, that's the same. You could tell the guys that chase a largemouth and the guys that caught spots were all throwing the same thing. And I'm like, oh, Brian's got pictures of spots, but he's throwing a football jig. I'm like, this is kind of cool. Like, I can't yeah. really talk about this. So kudos to you, man, to figuring out something just a little bit different to get those fish to bite and ultimately reach your childhood dreams and goals. But um, before we wrap it up here, because that was awesome. Thank you for all that information, mm -hmm. first of all. But you do have one tournament left on the TMPFL this year, mm -hmm. and it's at the Kissimmee Chain. How are you feeling about that event, especially after Hurricane Ian just wreaked all kinds of devastation across Florida? Like, have you heard anything about, like, what even Florida looks like at this point? Um. Oh, I really haven't. Um, you know, the whole focus over the past month and a half has obviously been the birth of my child in Hartwell. Um, so I haven't I haven't gotten to do my usual pre scouting and, and pre pre practice and, and stuff like that for that event. So not that it would have done me much good to be able to uh look around before the hurricane hit because I'm pretty sure a lot of stuff changed before that happened, you know, with all the flooding, it's going to move a lot of that grass around. It's going to move a lot of the mats around. Um, I do feel fortunate that I was able to fish it in January and at least know how to get around, uh, know what I'm going to generally be looking at in each lake because they do all set up um, fairly differently. 
but you know, for the most part, we're going to be going into this just, um, you know, just going to try and go fishing. Um, not being able to, to look around, uh, you know, I, I would have loved to have looked around, but, uh, after that turn, after the Hartwell tournament, I think I only had one day. So I would have had to shoot down there and shoot back up and then get on a plane. Uh, it was just a little bit much. So, we're going to just kind of go fishing like we usually do and try to figure them out on the fly. Um, I think it's going to be a really, really cool event. You know, we talked about, you talked about it earlier, you know, the MPFL, they're not, they're not scared to do stuff differently. You know, um, you know, they hit a home run with Wright Patman last year. That was one of my favorite lakes that we fished last year. And I hadn't heard about it before that. And I think 98% of the people that, um, uh, you know, followed it, hadn't heard about that lake, and and turns out it's an absolute gem. I'm um, sure a lot of locals were like, son of a... <laughs> <laughs> For sure. For sure. I mean, yeah, I'd love to go but... back. Uh, that, was, that was definitely a special place. Uh, and then, you know, we're going to Florida in the fall, which you really just don't... Yeah. I don't think we're going to find too much information um, on it, on tournament results, stuff like that. You know, generally Florida, you go there in January to 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 February, the bigger tournaments at least. So uh, that'll be a fun one to figure out, and uh, yeah, it's going to be probably a fly by the seat of my pants kind of kind of deal where just go fish what looks good and try to figure them out while while we can. Yeah, I hope it works out for you because I mean, I was looking at the AOI standings, and you're in the top ten currently, right? So mm -hmm. I don't know if you have a chance at AOI. You probably need some major slip-ups by the guys leading. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, there's always a chance it's fishing, especially with the three-day everyone fishes NPFL format. Yeah, so. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm looking forward to it. I, you know, getting Angler of the Year, that it, it probably – it's <laughs> the numbers say I could do it, but uh, I don't think it'll happen. Um, I'm going to try to make it happen. But again, you know, that's depending on a lot of people slipping up. Uh, yeah. But, you know, if I could move up a few spots, I think that'd be pretty awesome. And, uh, you know, we got three days to do it. So I'm looking forward to it. Well, I wish you a bunch of safe travels back to Florida and back west. Because I think even if you get into the, if you stay in the elite series, you'll probably stay in California, I'm assuming, based on already three years in, right? Of traveling. Mm -hmm there's probably no leaving out west no um we're we're pretty settled for now um you know with with, with plane plane tickets and plane rides it, it's really uh it's not that bad you know it, it's obviously an added added expense and a little bit of a little bit of a pain sometimes but man i got uh, i got a lot of great friends around the country that have you know helped helped me out the past two years you know storing my boat storing my rig for a few days giving me rides to the airport picking me up from the airport um without those guys man it it doesn't happen for me because that's uh then i'm paying for storage units and paying for ubers i, I mean the cost would just be ridiculous so having friends yeah. Yeah, having friends that, that can help me out like that, were, they've been absolutely crucial to, to making this dream happen and, and keeping it going. Yeah, and I know Bailey would say the same. If you ever need anything around Buffalo, New York, just let us know. So I appreciate it. Yeah, anytime, buddy. And um, 
If we don't talk between now and then, I uh, look forward to seeing you at the Classic again. That'd be awesome. Yeah, March. I'll be so there. We will be there as well. So, um, But congratulations on everything that you've accomplished this year, especially for qualifying for the Elite Series. That's absolutely awesome. I, If you end up going there, I do look forward to watching you on live once you get there to see really what Brian Smith is all about besides just talking to you over a computer. But anything (laughs) you want to kind of talk about before we let you get off here and go hang out with your son? No, man, that's that's about it. Uh, Just uh, really, really thankful for how these last last uh, last few months have have worked out for me. I'm truly blessed to be able to do what I do. I couldn't do it without the support of my family, my friends and, uh, you know, the companies that I work with in the industry and out of Um, it takes it takes an army. It really does to make this make this happen you know it seems like a solo sport and uh, it is to an extent but without the support system none of this stuff happens you know my wife taking care of the baby and taking care of the house you know we got two dogs two cats an iguana a couple other lizards and now a a new baby boy so she has her hands full and uh for me to be able to go out there and not have to worry about everybody's well-being uh, it's absolutely, uh, it's huge for me. And, uh, you know, I get to focus on what, uh, what I need to focus on and, you know, without her, none of this happens. Yeah. Like I said before, thank you to your wife for, uh, allowing you to live your lavish lifestyle of being a professional <laughs> bass fisherman and holding down the fort at home while you are gone. So absolutely. yeah, we all know it's not the most glorious life in the world, but it's a fun one. So, it is. It is. Well, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for taking the time tonight. And uh, I will let you get out of here and we will chat soon. All right. Thanks again, Uh, Andrew. I appreciate it. Yeah. We'll talk soon, Brian. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Bye now. All right, everyone. Well, that is Brian Smith's story about qualifying for the Bassmaster Elite Series with the second place finish in the Southern Opens there at Lake Hartwell. Um, I truly hope you guys enjoyed this episode. As you can tell, it was just I again today because Bailey is on his hiatus uh, traveling around the Southeast and Midwest. And um, make sure you check out the Lure Lab podcast tomorrow when it launches at 6 a.m. talking finesse swim baits. And we will see everyone next week. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all. And we'll see y'all on the next one.